Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And on today's episode, we're celebrating Pride Month by looking at life in the Harry Potter fandom for LGBTQ plus people, the significance of the big Dumbledore reveal back in 2007, and what queer couples we see between the lines of the original text. And to help us with today's discussion, we are joined by Meg and Katie, who are co-hosts of the Harry Potter podcast, Swish and Flick, and are married. Hi, Megan and Katie. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having Hi. us. Let's get your fandom IDs to start off, and then we want to hear about the podcast. Uh, so I am a Slytherin. I am also, I literally just had it, my Morning house. <laughs> I'm Thunderbird. Morning <laughs> house. Um, my Patronus, which I have tried so hard to get something different. I've literally taken the test like six times and gotten a different type of horse. <laughs> You're just a horse. Deal with I, it. I know. So uh, my favorite one that I've gotten though is the chestnut mare. So that's what I'm sticking with. Um, and I'm just not a horse person and it just seems so bizarre. I don't know. I want it to be like a mm. fox or something. So that's my personal Patronus headcanon. Um, okay. Favorite book actually has recently changed since we have been doing our reread and currently it's Goblet of Fire. Um, my favorite movie is very controversial. It's Order of the Phoenix. I know. <laughs> I just love the okay. visuals. It's a great I'm a graphic montages designer. in that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm a graphic designer. So like the newspapers and stuff, like Ooh. that's what I love about it. Yeah. Um, and my favorite queer coded character is Tonks. She's my okay. she's my favorite headcanon queer character. Um, all right, my turn. This is Katie. Uh, I'm a Hufflepuff through and through. I am the snack master. Uh Ilvermorny House, I am also a Thunderbird. Patronus, I'm a dolphin, even though I can't swim. That's okay. <laughs> uh, my favorite book is Prisoner of Azkaban. It's also my favorite movie, but like not comparing the two whatsoever because they ruined it if you do that. But aside from that. Um, and my favorite queer coded character is probably a mix between Tonks and Remus, which is funny because they end up married. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about Swish and Flick. How long have you been doing this podcast? What are you do doing on the podcast? Oh my gosh. This will be our fourth year. You want me to go into it? Yeah, go for it. it our right. anniversary is coming up. It's yeah. in July. Yeah. Um, so we're a Potter book club. Uh, we go chapter by chapter. We dissect it on like a serious, severe nerd level. Like we've spent three hours on a third of a chapter. <laughs> uh, we get really nitty gritty. <laughs> um, and it's just four friends who like happen to be from each of the houses just totally coincidentally. Perfect. Um, and honestly, we just have a lot of fun. The we are silly. Yeah, we're super silly. Yeah. Um, we just have fun. But the best part is our Swish community. Like, I have to shout out our Swishers because it's just this big community of love. I love them. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you have a name for your listeners, too. We've, <laughs> we've struggled they with that. They coded it themselves. Oh, So I okay. was like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, speaking of houses, though, too, we're now fully balanced here. There are no Gryffindors, but we're... Two each for Slytherin, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff. 
Good call out. So we're not fully balanced if we're missing a Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you could kind of throw my Gryffindor, my I own robes. Yeah, you're, you're half Gryffindor. So is Andrew, right? <laughs> Same. That's right. I'm full. I'm 100% Slytherin. I oh, was he, commi- he committed fully. We killed all the Gryffindors. After a now. breakup, I just changed my whole <laughs> life, including my Hogwarts house. Speaking new of life, breakups, new I have been in a Hufflepuff Slytherin relationship before, and that is very interesting and I think more common than people would think. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. I feel like we balance each other out. Like I'm very um I'm very like decision driven and she is not. So like I help her with that or like make her make decisions, which she hates. Mm-hmm. But you know, it works. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's a really good balance, which I think surprises people. Interesting. Cool. All right. So let's get into our discussion today. We were saying before the show, we've been so busy with chapter by chapter over the years. One thing that we're enjoying now that we're past chapter by chapter for the time being is doing all of these one-off Harry Potter discussions. And over the 15-year history of the show, we've never done a discussion on LGBTQ people in the Harry Potter fandom, or really even uh queer characters in the books and movies so it's so nice to be able to do this and actually shout out to eric who suggested this for pride month didn't even register with me the gay person on the panel <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just that good of an ally honestly <laughs> yes like, don't you want to talk eric gets ally points for sure um so let's start by talking about the fandom itself so ladies when did you two join the harry potter fandom I was 11, I think like a lot of Potter fans were, and I got dragged to the first movie by my dad, and then it was just history from there. Mm -hmm. And then the first four books were out, so I just like devoured them. But yeah, that was the start. Sadly, I did not start with the book. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I didn't either. So I was 11, and my mom tried so hard, I think I would assume for years, to try to get me to read the books, and I... I was rebellious about it for some reason. I really don't know why, but I just didn't want to read it. Maybe because she was trying to push me into reading them because she was hearing such good things. Um, But I agreed to go and see the first movie over Christmas break in 2001. Yeah, when it came out. Um, And then I read one through four on Christmas break that year (laughs) and was just like immediately hooked. (laughs) So, yeah. So so I take it you two weren't out during your earliest days in the Harry Potter fandom. When did you get more like properly involved in the Harry Potter fandom? And were you out at that time? No, it was a while. I mean, we were I was I mean, I'm still in it. It's my entire life. I live and breathe it. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, I when I first said I had no idea I was on the rainbow spectrum at all. And then I think later on, I don't know if I would say I think we're going to talk about this later. I don't know if it like helped me but it's helped me now okay the community that's good yeah i wasn't out until high school so it took a while um for the fandom to help me in that way but like i honestly had no idea that i was queer until high school and it just wasn't something that crossed my mind or wasn't something that i like thought deeply on uh for a while and for me ages probably like 12 through 14, I was heavily, heavily into MuggleNet message boards and the <laughs> chat rooms. And like, I was all in immersed in those like role play chat rooms, the, oh God, yes. the house chat. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, yeah, it was I spent so much so many hours on those message boards. Um, 
just like breaking down the books, talking about like what we think is going to happen in five and then in six and good old days. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, So for me, I was not out when I joined the fandom, which was probably around 2004, 2005. A year or two later in 2006, I had a crush on somebody in the fandom who was a guy and I was over in London and with this person and some other people. And one of these other people, Claire, I I can't remember the exact details, but somehow she had just caught on that I had feelings for this guy. And I was out to nobody at the time. And she just approached me one night. She was like, you like so-and-so, don't you? And I was so taken aback that she had figured me out. I was like, how did you know? What? And I was like, so we had a talk that night because I was like the very first person I came out to. And this was somebody in the Harry Potter fandom. It was so nice to finally be out to somebody. Anybody who's queer knows that struggle to, to come out initially. So from there, it was a domino effect. I started coming out one by one to other people. And what I noticed about it was the more people I was out to, you know, one, two, three, I I had more people on my side, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I was becoming more and more confident in coming out. But I only came out to people in the Harry Potter fandom. And by 2007, I was more out to I was out to most of the Harry Potter fandom. Also, there was a fandom scandal where I was outed by somebody on this Harry Potter fandom gossip website called the Acid Quill. I only found out who was behind it like three years ago. I forgave one person. I didn't forgive the other. (laughs) That's a discussion for another time. But so in 2007, I was only out to people in the fandom but not nobody in my real life. High school was a whole different world. My suburban New Jersey town life, that was a whole different world. Um, and I didn't really start coming out to people in the real world, so to speak, until a few years after that. And the other thing was, I didn't have really, honestly, any real life friends. Like all my friends were in the fandom. Harry Potter was my world. I was kind of one of the outcasts in in high school. So I didn't have anybody to come out to. The next question I have here, and my story is getting to this point, is would our coming out experiences have been different had we not had the Harry Potter fandom? I cannot imagine what my coming out experience would have been like if it weren't for the Harry Potter fandom. It probably would have been many more years until I started coming out because A, I would start, I would have to start finding some real friends to come out to. And and B, the Harry Potter fandom was such a welcoming place for everybody that it was possible to come out and not be judged. I don't know, Megan and Katie, did you have similar experiences just like being open with people in the Harry Potter fandom? So I think like looking back on my experience of coming out, had I not had the fandom in the long run, like, yes, I do think that it would have been a different experience. But I was so grateful for the fact that the person who I would go to about Harry Potter and about my personal life was like my real life best friend in high school, Sarah, who is a co-host on our podcast as well. Sarah O'Malley, shout out to her. She's the best. Um, But she was one of those friends that like between our little group in high school, like we were the book nerds. We, you know, kept to ourselves. There were maybe like four of us in our group of friends and we all talked Potter. And, you know, they just because of like how often we were talking and 
I funny story. Katie's literally the first person that I ever dated. Like we are each other's oh. literal. Like we met at, when we were 15. So like in high school, I met Katie and I would not shut up about Katie to Sarah <laughs> in any conversation that we were having. And she finally was just like, are you guys, are you guys like dating? Like, it's okay if you are like, are you dating? And I was like, are we dating? <laughs> no, <laughs> we're just friends. And like, <laughs> it took a while for like me to come to the conclusion that like I was talking about her more than I would a normal friend. And so like Sarah being my pot, my person in real life and my Potter fandom person, like it coincided in such a beautiful way that like I, ne- I didn't necessarily connect the two when it was happening. Um, but now looking back and like how much Sarah is a part of both mine and Katie's life and how we now have a Potter podcast together and like we, you know, go on all these crazy adventures together that are Potter related. Um, yeah, I mean, like really it was everything and I didn't even realize it until maybe even just a couple years ago. And like our, my coming, mine and Katie's both coming out story because like we, they're so ingrained together because like we've known each other for so long. We literally like grew up together. Our coming out was very much like stepping stone, kind of similar to yours, Andrew, where it was like, okay, I'm going to tell like, well, Sarah figured it out on her own. Like, I didn't even have to tell her. She just like came out. And then I realized, oh, maybe I do like Katie how I would think I should like a boyfriend. Like, I don't even know because I wasn't thinking about those kinds of things. And then like, it was my friends. And it it literally took me until I was 22 to like tell my my family. Mm. So it was like a very long, slow process. But within all of that, we always had Sarah to go back to and the Potter fandom. Like that was like our crutch of conversation and comfort. And um, everybody that you meet in the Potter fandom is always so welcoming. And like the things that you learn through the writing are so welcoming. So it's like the people who are in that fandom who love those things theoretically think the same way. Mm -hmm. So then like you just feel welcomed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And to snowball off that too, like even after that, like after we're out, just to like live authentically as yourself and not hide anything or not be like, oh, my public, maybe I shouldn't, you know, hold my now wife's hand. Like those are thoughts that I have had. And because of the community and like just the encouragement and the support, I'm like, no, I'm going to be exactly who I am. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. And it was so empowering to, then go and start a podcast with Sarah and like in the first episode say that we're married like Mm -hmm. we are married we are both queer like and just automatically have the strength to be with one of our best friends on something and like feel empowered enough to be able to do that and like not fear backlash yeah which is something that's really special yeah so speaking of that inclusion, I think at least for the Muggle casters, one of the biggest places where we've seen inclusion are the Harry Potter conferences. Laura, Eric, Micah, I wanted to get you three more involved here. Like, what did you notice about inclusion about at Harry Potter events? A lot of what has been said about the fandom rings true from these conventions, but it was at the early HPEF conventions 
that I saw just the the complete spectrum of gender presentation, uh, diversity of all kinds, you know, whether through cosplay or different um, informal panels, the topics that were being explored were way different than anything that I knew would exist or would be there. So like, and, and um, gender bent cosplay, there were actually just a bunch of people uh, again, going back to costuming, but Snape's and Voldemort's and like, I would look at them like, I wouldn't know like if they were a man or a woman is like in my binary understanding of things as a kid. And it was just like, it was exciting because everyone was dressing up because they were passionate and everyone was very engaged and everyone was extremely supportive of everyone else's like, like, damn it, you have a better Snape nose than I do. Like the hook and you know, like, <laughs> how did you do this? Just tell me your secrets, please. And it's just comparing notes on something relating to their physical appearance or relating to the identity that they had chosen to present as. And that's a huge thing in the queer community too. Like, what do you, what do you present? Like, what, what are you bringing? And that's the, the organic nature of, um, the fluidity of gender, of presentation, of these types of things. I learned all of that from these conventions. And it it wasn't anything to do with that directly, but because it was Harry Potter and it was such an open fandom and such a, um, you know, I guess a forward thinking group of people that all had these books affect them at the same time in their lives. um, We all kind of grew and learned about that stuff, I guess, together. Yeah, I would say... The first the first thing that really like hit me when I went to Lumos 2006 was this sense of feeling like this was my tribe and everybody brought something different to the table, but it was all OK. Um, I had never prior to that been able to hang out in person with people who were as passionate about a series of books about a boy wizard as I was. I also was kind of an outcast in high school. Um, So to actually get that, but then also be exposed to different kinds of people with different approaches, it really helped me, I think, from a young age, understand that my particular lens through which I see the world um, was maybe a little bit limited at the time. And I actually think that it made me a better person to be involved in that space. Yeah, I would say my experience at a lot of these conventions really just taught me how to be an ally and and to be a better ally than I think I was coming in. And I think with all the different people that I've met throughout the course of my time in this fan community, um, I've learned a lot. And I don't think that necessarily would have been the case had I not on this podcast or have attended as many of these conventions as I had. The thing about the conventions, especially those first ones, like Laura mentions Lumos, that was like an alternate world, you know, going from, for me, suburban New Jersey, very white, very straight, nobody, you know, everybody's the same. And then going to these conferences and like Eric is saying, everybody's just so unique and willing to be themselves. It was so refreshing to see and nobody judges you at these Harry Potter conferences no matter you know how you dress who you are anything zero judgment whatsoever though i will admit you know going there for your first time it's like shocking to see so many different types of people again yeah. coming from suburban whiteville usa 
I had a question for you, Andrew, and if you're not comfortable, I should have asked you about this beforehand. If you're not comfortable talking about it, we can just we can move on from it. I was just wondering if you could reflect a little bit on your experience as someone who was like heavily involved in the fandom and ended up coming out during that time. It wasn't like you came out at the beginning of your involvement in the fandom. You've known myself, Micah, and Eric since before that time. Yeah. And I'm just curious to hear like all of these years later if you have any thoughts or reflections on that experience. Well, I guess the thing, the key was that nothing changed after I came out, right? Mm -hmm. That's really all it comes down to. And it's thanks to the fandom being such a welcoming place. That's really all I have to mm-hmm. say about that. I, I think it's just not nothing did change. And that's that's a great thing. And of course, it, it meant everything to have the support of my fellow muggle casters and of course, other people involved with MuggleNet and just like everybody in the fandom because coming out is can be in a, a terrifying experience. Uh, I seem to remember I just <laughs> I just had a memory. Didn't I think a couple of you noticed or remember this wasn't like Ben mad that I came out to Jamie before yeah, Ben or something that like that. sounds about right. <laughs> yep. Way to make it about yourself, Ben. True. True. <laughs> but I said to him, take it as a compliment because I was more afraid to come out to you because you're a better friend to me. Not anymore. Now it's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recall you saying something similar to me too. I, I think we were in Los Angeles and, and you had just, you told me like, I was really afraid to come out to you. And I don't know, like, I know I'm an intimidating guy, like I'm super serious, <laughs> you know, but you are actually, I mean, you, you jest, but you are kind of intimidating, not in a bad way, but it's harder to come out to people you're closer to, you know, it's like coming out to your family. It's like, holy crap. Yeah. I've known these people forever. And now I'm about to like rock their worlds potentially with some news there's just such a duality because like we're these harry potter books are about this wizard who lives half you know partly in summers in the muggle world and there's these two worlds and he has the secret hogwarts world that most of mankind doesn't know about and that really echoed for me many times in the harry potter fandom because i would find this group of inclusive supportive people and when i'd go home after these conventions i just wouldn't have that and i had high school friends and i had you know friends I guess you would say of proximity and there's no slight on them. They were also very great people, but something about the community and what we shared kept me focused, razor focused on the fandom as like a, not a secret, but like I felt like going to conventions were just like Harry would feel going back to Hogwarts each year. So Mm -hmm. true. Um, And that had to do with the tolerance um, just, and no questions asked about, any of that stuff. So I have a question here for the straights on the panel. <laughs> What's a different thing about you three that the fandom didn't judge you for? Because I think you three may have had a similar experience with the fandom. Like you, you too felt welcome there. Yeah. And prior to that, we felt like outcasts. Like it's exactly like you said, yeah. like, you know, what, like in high school, I was not the popular kid. Um, and you know, I had to think of it like I've heard the Harry Potter fandom being described as many things throughout the years. One of the most apt was the Island of Misfit Toys uh, from one of the <laughs> Rudolph. It's like we 
there's something wrong with all of us, but that's not the message I want to send on happy pride month, everybody. Um, you know, it's just that looking at it, taking yourself, not, not quite so seriously and finding that we found a, a community of outcasts of sorts. And that's all it means because the Isle of Misfit Toys all group together and accomplish great things. And it's a wonderful, you know, heartwarming story. But the reason I, I go back to that comparison is again, it does feel like we were all outcasts or there was something not wrong with us, but something that we felt within us that was different. And in finding each other, either those feelings went away or we worked through them as a group. And it was just so, I think it captures some of the inspiration. So for my point, what I think that the fandom didn't think twice about judging me about, uh, <laughs> you guys probably remember there's photos, of course, but back at Lumos, I was like very, very young uh, and I had very sticky out ears. And my ears stuck out from my head. Very, very, like radio antenna style, very, very big ears. And I have to guess that if it weren't for the uh, inclusivity of the fandom, I would have been teased for them. You, so that actually really surprises me because I never, that's never something I, like, I never noticed, noticed about you. I see your point, though. You felt it, it was an insecurity Yeah, you were self-conscious. Well, yeah, it. just in general, I was a little physically kind of the way Ron is described as gangly. I was that way. That's all. And that's something you unfortunately do get made fun of in school for. Even though you can't control it, you're just born that way. It's something you can get made fun of. Yeah. For. I hope I did the prompt okay. <laughs> like, I no, you took did. It seriously. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've always had a strong sense that uh, of like social awkwardness and whether or not other people get that impression of me. I still feel it, especially when I'm in a new situation or with new people. Um, but it, what felt different about the conferences to me than, for example, my schooling experience was that I could be in that space and I could feel socially awkward, maybe, and it was fine. Nobody commented on it. As a, as a matter of fact, the only time that anybody would ever comment on it would be like, oh, are you okay? Like, are you feeling fine? Like, do you want to like go grab a drink or something like that? Like it was always out of a sense of care that anybody would ever even like scratch the surface of that conversation with me. Um, and the other thing too, like speaking more to like the physical side of things, body positivity and body acceptance. Uh, I've always been a thicker lady and uh, being a larger teenage girl can be hard, uh, especially in schooling environments. Mm. Teenagers are very cruel. I'm sure we all know this, um, but it was never something that made me feel uncomfortable in that space. Yeah. I mentioned the seriousness factor about me. I, I don't, maybe Andrew, Laura, Eric, you can kind of speak to that a little bit more. Um, but uh, also the radio voice, like I feel like I get that all the time. Um, but just being also a little bit older than some of the other co-hosts here too, I think that was always a fear of mine, especially when we would get together. It's like, oh, here's the older person in the group. Um, but I think as you all got older, that kind of subsided and also getting to know- You were like, how does it feel? Yeah, welcome older. to the club. Welcome to the club. But uh, <laughs> getting to know others in the fan community, especially on the podcasting side, like Melissa and John, I think 
um, was, was really helpful there. Yeah. And also not being judged for my love of goats too. That was huge. <laughs> we, we still judge you for that. We just don't talk about it in public. We, we, we're very <laughs> quiet about that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, you three straights for sharing those things. Let's take a quick break because I want to tell you about our sponsor, Me Undies, who has done something special this Pride Month. They've partnered with the Los Angeles LGBT Center this Pride, and through their Me Undies Gives initiative, they're working together to build a world where LGBTQIA individuals thrive as healthy, equal, and complete members of society. Me Undies has made a donation to the center that will provide tents, sleeping bags, hygiene products, and other essentials for the homeless youth. It will also help the center provide 22,500 hot meals for homeless youth and more. So we are so glad to see MeUndies doing that. MeUndies are makers of excellent undies and loungewear made for self-expression and designed for you to feel comfortable in your own skin. They offer different cuts for different butts, ranging from extra small to 4XL. Whether you're looking for classic colors or bold and adventurous prints like Harry Potter designs, Me Undies has you covered so you can celebrate you and your most authentic self. This is why we love them so much. In addition to cloud-like comfort, they also offer some of the uniquest, comfiest clothes you've ever seen. Me Undies has a great offer for MuggleCast listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. Me Undies also has their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, they'll refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. That's MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. So let's talk about Dumbledore's sexuality. We wanted to bring this up today because when this was announced back in October 2007 kind of on a whim. It was a very, very big deal. A fan had asked a question to J.K. Rowling at an event at Carnegie Hall in New York City. The person had asked, did Dumbledore ever find love? And Rowling replied, she always thought of Dumbledore as gay. And I was at that event. A couple other people here were too, right? Yeah. Laura, you were. Mm-hmm. I've never seen you jump that high before, Andrew. Whoop! You like yeah. lunged out of the... <laughs> It's so weird that I did that. Like I, you I definitely don't, I guess did I'm that. Just yeah. like, I, I just got caught up in the excitement, I think. No. I don't know. And I'm so glad that Micah can corroborate this because I have a distinct memory of watching you come out of the chair. You weren't the only one. I mean, it was the whole theater pretty much. Right. Um, but when we talked about it later, you were like, really? Did I black out or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess I did because I still still don't remember that. What I do remember is, A, being in a taxi cab, like, the next day and hearing hearing that news being reported on the radio, like, this was a real person coming out. And, B, right after the event, you know, this is before we had smartphones where we could update our site. We couldn't really use Twitter on our phones at the time. Um, I remember running with the people at the Leaky Cauldron all over to the Fifth Avenue Apple store to write the news up on our respective fan sites on the computers at the Apple store. And we were sitting there for like a good half hour, 45 minutes. And I still remember to this day being like, oh my God, Leaky wrote so much more than I did in the same amount of time. What the hell? They're so much better than me. (laughs) But um, it was, Laura, I know you wanted to bring this up today because it was a huge deal at the time. Like this was this type of story didn't happen back in 2007. No, and I think I mean I think there's a lot of valid critique around this in terms of like the decision to 
sort of retroactively um, make this canon. Mm -hmm. And I think we can have a whole conversation about it. But I also think it's really valuable to remember the landscape of the time. Like, it was 2007. I remember at that point, I actually like a couple months after this, I think I went to a pride parade with Andrew, one of our mutual friends um, in D.C., and he and I were talking. We were like, yeah, you know, 30 years from now, we're going to be looking back on this and remembering doing this. And, you know, at that point, it didn't feel like marriage equality was anywhere close to happening. Mm -hmm. So to see how quickly times have changed since then, it's, it's a great thing. But I think sometimes... In this discussion, we can lose what life was like at the time. Um, So I think the critique is totally valid. I just always want to include that bit of context about what a different time it was. And being in the theater myself and seeing people that I personally knew, like Andrew, so positively impacted by this in the moment... It's just not something that I would want to not be sort of like acknowledged in the conversation. Yeah. And I think the other reason it was a big deal is because there were very few gay characters in pop culture at the time, especially something on the level of Harry Potter. And to be fair and honest, like there's still not really a gay character, an LGBTQ character in the Harry Potter story. Still, you know, we like almost got there with Cursed Child. We might get there with Fantastic Beasts. Star Wars, same thing, except for at the very end of the latest movie, Rise of Skywalker. In the background, you can see a a lesbian couple either kissing or hugging, but it's like blink and you'll miss it. And it's like, thanks, I guess, for this half second bit of representation. Megan and Katie, what do you make of Dumbledore being gay? Was it exciting at the time? Are you a little annoyed that I like they're in the same room? They keep looking at each other to be like, who's talking first? Who's talking first? I I love it. I love it. (laughs) So to be fair, like my memory sucks. And I remember being excited, but I don't really remember like specific details about learning about Dumbledore being gay. I just remember hearing the news, not necessarily like feeling super surprised by it, but feeling very happy by it. Um. And I actually like I was looking through this through the doc and I I texted Sarah and I was like, do you remember learning that Dumbledore's gay? Like, did, did we like have a conversation? Because my mind is going blank and I don't <laughs> like I just don't I don't remember um, because I wasn't like I was involved in the fandom in my own ways, but I wasn't really like going to events and that kind of stuff until a little bit later. Um so like, yeah, I, I saw, I probably read your article, Andrew, <laughs> whenever it came out on MuggleNet. Like, that's what I was following. So I remember being super excited about it. And I remember thinking, um, you know, like really honestly, years later, thinking back to like when we started having more conversations about this being like, man, I wish that it would have been portrayed better in the books. Yep. But, you know, like Laura was saying, you can't like when these books were coming out. um, it just wasn't being talked about. It wasn't being represented. There was no representation there in those times, unfortunately. So like, honestly, I'm just grateful for representation. And I know that not 
every member of the LGBTQ community feels the same way as I do in this regard, but I'm just happy for the representation. And like, yes, it's unfortunate that it happened later, but I'll take it and I'm happy for it. Um, And I hope that we get to see more actually represented in Fantastic Beasts, though that series seems to be cursed at this point. Like, I don't know what's happening. We'll see what happens. But like, it would be really cool to see it. And and just to like start seeing glimpses of it elsewhere, I just hope that it pushes through to like main characters soon in more series instead of just, you know, like you said, a a couple in the background of... (laughs) Of Rise of Skywalker or um, oh, the cop in Onward <laughs> in the Pixar movie for Onward, like, oh, she's a lesbian, you know, like have it right. be like, like a main character. Right. And it's so <laughs> subtle that we have to like sit yeah. here on Twitter and debate if it really even, you know, is a gay <laughs> yeah. character or not. It's like, just be, you know, fully know. open with it so we don't have to debate it. Or like yeah. LeFou and Beauty and the Beast, how he like Ugh. dances with a guy. And I was like, just thinking about that. Just to be, uh, to see like the comments and stuff of like how, where we still are as a society where like people are still pushing back about something as stupid as like a guy dancing with a guy in a movie. Like, yeah, can't we just be happy? Like, just let people be people. And again, it's blink and you'll miss it. Like that's, it'd be like, one yeah. thing if that was a whole scene, you right. know, but it's one second. Come on. It's so minimal that oftentimes representatives of these studios have to make explicit comments to be like, look, see, we got gay people, you know, and I think they they referred to that as an exclusively gay moment Mm -hmm. when LeFou was dancing with another man or something (laughs) like that. Like it was just the most ludicrous thing. But that's queer baiting, right? That's giving the guys that you are interested in inclusivity and to bring uh, the large community out when ultimately you're overpromising and underdelivering or misrepresenting your intentions. See, the Dumbledore announcement to me happened way too early to be considered queer baiting. There have been those accusations levied at Joe, but I don't think that's how it was. This was the first major interview after Book Seven came out, and that's as early as we were ever going to get that kind of announcement. I think it wasn't strictly relevant enough to include directly explicitly in the books i believe that you know it's like okay great um that's the standard now by which we judge media we want it's like Mm -hmm. well if a character's gay you should probably say something about it in the books because you're going to get to know them better that way and it's going to be we want all of our characters to be their most authentic selves as well but at the time i'm perfectly fine with it having happened slightly post-canon um, because it really seemed like an honest answer. It seemed like that was always the way that that character appeared. I think a big factor for me, too, was that J.K. Rowling, we knew, always thought deeply about her characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I, I like I just agree with that whole sen- sentiment. Is that what I want to say? Uh, <laughs> but like. I don't think that there was any malice in in the announcement at all. No. Like any any like, oh, I feel like I need to like push this in the fandom. Like that wasn't there at all. And we we have talked endlessly as well about how deep these characters go and how much information that like we don't even know about them. We want to know, but like we're not told, but she knows. So like there's absolutely no doubt in my mind 
that that was always a thought in her mind. But we always have to, and I, I mention this all the time on our podcast, we have to remember as we're reading these books, we are reading them through Harry's eyes. And why would Harry have ever known or thought that information? So to me, it makes complete sense that we wouldn't mm-hmm. learn that information because it's not anything that Harry needed to know or Dumbledore gave to Harry as information. Plus, it's like so easy to get fired up now and be like, well, it was an afterthought. It's like, well, you know, at the time, like you're talking about. And then I feel like sometimes it, it people just fire themselves up too fast or too quick or someone makes one comment and then it just explodes. Like, I think what's that game coming out called like Hogwarts Legacy? Um they were talking about how they're going to let you customize your characters. And oh, yeah. some people had a problem with that. Like, oh, you're just you're just baiting. But like Meg's, a super common thing in those types of video games. Right. But like right. Meg said, like, celebrate the inclusivity. Like, <laughs> I want to be yeah. excited about it. Yeah, yeah, I know. People like to start a fuss. Well, yeah. and, and I know <laughs> that this isn't an avenue um, we're planning on pursuing in this episode. But I do think as well, part of... The problem here is that given a lot of conversations that have happened with regards to J.K. Rowling in the last couple of years, people have begun questioning Mm -hmm. things that Mm -hmm. she did in the past and questioning how genuine those things are. And I agree that there can be multiple truths here. Like this could have been a completely genuine thing um, and still be a genuine thing. And, um, you know, the other interpretations that are going on right now can also be true. So, And Dumbledore doesn't represent all gay men, just the way that right. any one of us or any any person doesn't represent every member of that community. And so for Rowling to have said, I believe her words were like, more specifically, I've always felt that he leaned that way, or I always felt he was more of a gay character. Um, that just means that he reminds her of a gay man that maybe she knew or would experience or would come across, you know, very old, gentle, a little bit, you know, bookish, maybe slightly effeminate. He wears, uh, as our discord has pointed out, he wears, uh, a purple cloak and heeled boots. Uh, yeah. So that's Canon. And, you know, it's just like whatever, whatever composition of traits that strikes J.K. Rowling in the early 90s as being gay, uh, that's all she had to say. She doesn't need to create the perfect gay character. Probably doesn't exist. But she just, you know, it's important for inclusivity that it be announced at all. I'm grateful it was announced and so close to when the books came out. Well, another thing just to remember is that, you know, she doesn't have to make him, you know, be a stereotypical gay person in any regard. Dumbledore can seem to be a completely straight person, but actually be gay. Yeah. Right. It's really dangerous to assume that any one group is a monolith. Um, One other point I want to bring up, and E and J said this in the Discord. They asked, do you think fandom culture, not just in Harry Potter, tend to be more inclusive? And they wrote a bit longer of a message. But I do want to say, yes, I do think many fandom star wars and others are very very inclusive i always think back to uh comic-con 
it's very similar to a Harry Potter conference. There are so many different unique people and you don't judge anybody. It's like New York City. There's so many different unique <laughs> people there. Nobody's different. <laughs> you don't notice anything odd. It's just it's just how it is. It's it's a welcoming place. And many fandoms are like that as well. And I think it's because a lot of people, especially before nerd culture was cool, you know, you would go into one of these fandoms because you are different and y- you might feel like an outcast. And you go in there and you're welcomed. Yeah, the escapism aspects of things like Star Trek um, were the draw. They were like a magnet. They put, they pulled people together who had similar interests in escaping. And what were they escaping from? Well, you know, these IPs were not, or or they were more, the fandoms are always more progressive than the IP, is what I want to say. And mm-hmm. that's because the fandom is real people. And we're always fighting against that that grain of making all voices heard and it's an upwards trend it's gaining traction but it could still be decades because it has been decades um you know of these people saying these things and getting together and organizing and so uh, yeah i just think all fandoms are probably more inclusive than strictly the ips that they fall under like you mentioned star wars the recent star trek movie had like a sulu hug with his husband or something like that was it and it's it's a real shame and by the way, some of these scenes, if they are deemed too gay, they get cut out of versions of the film for China, unfortunately. So, you know, yeah. studios have to consider that, too. And it sucks that they do. But this is one of their considerations. And it's one of the battles that must still be fought in other countries, too, by the way. It's not just China. But so let's let's move on. You p- had put in the document here that it's statistically it's extremely likely that there are other LGBTQ characters in the Harry Potter series. And I think that that can likely relate to a larger diversity conversation when you look at just what the breakdown of Hogwarts looks like. And again, we're seeing it through Harry's perspectives, but J.K. Rowling is the one who's writing the series. And I think, you know, just if you're looking at how many black characters there are, you know, Dean Thomas, Kingsley Shacklebolt come to mind, Asian characters, Cho Chang, Jewish character, Anthony Goldstein, it's like the lone one that's mentioned throughout the series, although I'm assuming there are other Jewish characters at Hogwarts. And then with Dumbledore, as has been talked about, you know, him being a gay character that came after the fact. So Mm -hmm. this is probably a whole nother episode by itself, but just kind of curious the group's thoughts here as it relates to diversity in the series. Tokenism is a real problem. Well, and is it something that we recognize now being older that we didn't recognize necessarily when we were reading the series. I see people, and these are people who tend to be more critical of Harry Potter these days than they used to, but uh, in light of, you know, the events of the past year. But yeah, there's a major tokenism problem in the books. And it's so interesting how we really never noticed it when we were reading the books the first time. At least I didn't. And maybe this goes back to the fact, like I mentioned earlier in today's episode, that I grew up in a very white place. So my world was the world at Hogwarts. So it didn't really seem wrong or different to me. But then you get older and suddenly you are meeting many different types of people from all around the country and the world. And then you reread the books and you're like, wait a second. A lot of things <laughs> yeah, are missing I here. Mean, exactly. I mean, it. you can tell that the author comes from a particular vantage point, as do we all. I mean, when I was reading the books, I felt like I could really easily relate to them. And I think that 
in large part, that's due to the fact that I was, you know, was, am um, a white cisgender female and also straight. So like everything that I like all of the sort of like milestones of young adult life that I experienced were portrayed in the books. So it wasn't something I ever had to think about when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And it would only, you know, I can imagine that, especially now that I think as a fandom, there is a lot of work being done to become more enlightened. People are noticing that now and it does stick out like a sore thumb. There's really no Mm -hmm. denying it. And some will argue this still hasn't really been fixed in Fantastic Beasts. Like, yes, there are more people of color in these films. However, it's depicting 1920s New York, which did not actually look as white as it's looking in the Fantastic Beasts films. They still haven't resolved this, even though there's been plenty of opportunities to do so. And in fairness, you know, they made Hermione black and and Cursed Child, and that was great. And everybody was very excited by that. But things like that don't go far enough. I mean, I know that we touched on the fact that the world was a much different place when J.K. Rowling was writing this series, and that obviously influenced a lot of her decision-making. And we know her name had to be changed for her to even publish the series in the first place. But I think Megan kind of touched on this earlier, but I'm just curious, do you think she would have viewed including a gay character as a risk for the series? And then similarly, would the publishers have been concerned about how parents might react knowing that this was a children's series, at least initially? I think for sure. I I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but I think that there was like something in England in regards to allowing children's or allowing books into like school libraries. And if they had a gay character or something, they would not be allowed, maybe not even school libraries, I think just libraries in general. I'm fairly certain that that is true. And I, so based on that, like, I would think, yeah, that would be a pretty, like, in terms of um, having the availability of this book to kids, that would have been a worry. Like, is it, in her mind, she was probably, you know, I don't, I don't even know if she ever had any intention of including a gay character, but say she did, she could have been balancing, like, do I allow this book to get to people through a library or do I not? And that could have been a huge factor in it makes me think about especially in this country how much censorship these books faced because they're wizards which you know aren't real (laughs) and i'm just imagining like if people freaked out about wizards i thought the same oh my god what would they have done about gay people (laughs) gay wizards oh my god Yeah, we already know how they react to witchcraft, fictional witchcraft. Just imagine if these characters, one or two, were gay. And, you know, getting back to something I brought up earlier, it wouldn't have been like we find out in book one that Dumbledore's gay and then he's always hanging out at, at at the gay bar, like doing lots of gay stuff. It wouldn't have been anything like that at all. He'd be like, yeah, I loved Grindelwald once, you know, something like that. And that'd be it. And of course, parents would still lose their minds over something small like that. But that was the battle at the time. Even something that small would have caused a huge uproar in certain communities. 
And still bite today, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Right. Like these books mm-hmm. were already getting burned. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, that's very true. I want to say it's hard enough to be inclusive with a gay character, but a happy gay character is almost still completely unheard of. A character who hasn't suffered their entire lives and had to have conviction of steel to be able to be their authentic selves. The stories that we are consuming that do feature queer characters are depressing AF. And thank you for bringing that up. Oh, that's why I am literally <laughs> like literally obsessed with Shit's Creek, because I think it's the first bit of media that we've been given that doesn't do that. And yeah, it just brings me so much joy. Yeah. What was that movie with Kristen Stewart? Oh, the happiest season. Like, you know, for as exciting as it was to watch it, too, there's still some criticism surrounding characters. And the reason I brought it up to begin with is because Dumbledore was not happy if he loved if he's gay. It, it didn't have to be that he loved Grindelwald once 50 years ago or 150 when they were teenagers. And then he never loved anyone ever since. That's depressing. Same with McGonagall's story. Like the fact that she didn't love anybody since her husband, like these characters deserve to have an active life. If that is what they choose, you would want to believe that some of these characters, if they are gay, are happily gay and out and proud in the way that we have the privilege to be today in certain or liberal spaces. Yeah. Some of the gay storylines are, are pretty tired at this point. Like you need conflict, of course, in a story, but I'm personally getting kind of tired of all the coming out stories, like being in the closet and slowly working your way out. I've read a lot of gay fiction over the years, and it's basically that over and over again. And it's like, eh, I don't know. I've read enough of this. So let's talk about characters we see who might be queer coded. And this means like it's it's written between the lines. We can see it, but it's not it's not canon. Just to start off, I will remind our audience and maybe inform Meg and Katie. Uh, I really felt Albus Severus and Scorpius very hard in Cursed Child. Me too. Oh, yeah. He wrote a whole story. <laughs> I wrote a fan fiction to to get my feelings out. It gets what? very dirty. It gets very dirty. So but that's so. awesome. I'm not, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I actually know about this. Okay, never sever us. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. it's uh it's uh <laughs> awesome. <laughs> anyway, putting that one aside, I personally reading the Harry Potter books never really noticed any characters who might be queer it never really registered with me when reading the books even reading them again all these years later like i just mentioned i read gay fiction i'm interested in reading gay characters and yet no matter how many times i read the harry potter books i just really don't see it for any of them however i did look at a thread on quora with some different ideas and somebody suggested uh sprout and also grubbly plank and as someone on Quora put it, they both have a hint of British lesbian of a certain age about them. <laughs> which <laughs> They do. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? It means, I don't know. I guess like if I saw them in a TV show, I could definitely see them being lesbians. <laughs> One or the other or both. <laughs> How about you two, Megan and Katie, when you were reading the books for the first time or maybe... You're rereading it now for the podcast. Do you see any characters that you think might be queer? First time, no, because I was just, you know, absorbing it as a kid and laughing at all the things that I now see as cruel. But um, Mm -hmm. second time, because we're getting so into it. Yeah, I see it more. Definitely with um, Tonks. Totally. I see her 
or I could even see her identifying as they. Um, yeah, I think she's a total cool parallel for like gender bending or gender fluid or even um, like she can change her body at will if she wanted to. So if she's non-binary, if one day she's feeling more female or one day she's feeling more male, like she can transition into that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, Katie and I actually both just read this book called um, Symptoms, Symptoms of, of Being Human. Thank you. Symptoms of Being Human. And and um, in that book, they kind of describe their gender on on like a like a scale. So like one day it might lean to the right and the other day it might lean to the left. And they always, you know, they they never know how they're going to feel that day. And I feel I feel like there's such a parallel there with Tonks because Tonks can truly do that and um, can truly decide like, oh, well, how am I feeling today? Do I want the short pink hair and, you know, or do I do I want you know, Stubble, maybe mousy brown, you know, right. Yeah. You know, like, like they can completely decide who they want to be every single day. And I just think that that is a beautiful parallel to, um, to gender fluidity. And that's something that I immediately picked up on in my reread. Um, I just love it. And if you're, you know, maybe someone who's thinking they might be transgender, that's a really freeing thing to explore in a character. Yeah. I'll never forget the first, like, again, going back to these Harry Potter conventions, but I walked into a room and it was a discussion about Nymphador talks. And I, I was in the wrong room. I was looking for something else. I think I was looking for the vendor room and I came in and it was a round table panel on, on Tonks. And I, nobody noticed me walk in. It was packed. But one of the first things I walk in, I hear is like, we all want to know, can she grow a penis? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, What? Huh? I was like, Welcome to Vegas. I was a teenager. Can she grow yeah. a dick? We need to know. And it's like, <laughs> wow. Like, what the hell kind of like, I didn't know you could have these types of discussions in the open. This was enthralling. <laughs> but I wonder what Tonks, because I believe it for the same reasons. But is it, are we limiting to the, are we rushing in with wishful, with personal wish fulfillment because it would be so freeing to be a metamorphosis? And are we also... Uh, narrowing down Tonks's sexuality to what may be her physical parts, because that also is very problematic in a certain yeah. way. True, very true. That's true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's totally like probably just my wishful thinking. Um, I'm just thinking like the parallels of how other people potentially could uh, use her character to help themselves yep. more than anything. Yep. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I think that's the important distinction that we as a fandom have been learning how to make lately is that once the books are published, it's really in the hands of the fandom to decide what those stories mean to us. And if seeing a character who has a preference for being called by her gender neutral last name and can change her appearance at will, if that resonates with you and makes you feel safe and validated for who you are, then that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. We have more characters to discuss, but first, Masterclass is back to sponsor this week's episode of MuggleCast, and they offer Hogwarts-level classes for us muggles. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds, anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. 
They offer courses on all kinds of subjects, including specific types of writing, as we've spoken about previously, but then they have courses you may not expect, like bread baking, real estate, voice acting, style, ukulele, mixology, music, presidential history, and so, so much more. I call these Hogwarts-level classes because they're taught by experts we know and love, just like if we were to suddenly enter Hogwarts. For instance, I've been trying to get back into photography lately, and I'm currently in a course from one of the biggest names in photography, Annie Leibovitz. The courses are available on your phone, web, or smart TV. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons, usually around 10 minutes long, so it's easy to jump in and out. And each class is supported by downloadable materials, lessons, recipes, or more. Masterclass is the perfect way to learn a new skill or bring your existing passion to the next level. By the end of these courses, you'll be feeling like a wizard of the subject you went through. I really believe Masterclass is a special gift. It's a place where we can be taught by people we had never dreamed we'd be able to learn from. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every Masterclass, and as a MuggleCast listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash MuggleCast. That's masterclass.com slash MuggleCast for 15% off Masterclass. So Laura, you're feeling Charlie. Yeah, well, I thought it was an interesting quote from the 2007 documentary, J.K. Rowling, A Year in the Life, um, when asked if Charlie Weasley was gay, because there's a lot of um, fan fiction that posits this. And she said Charlie is more interested in dragons than women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was wondering if we could read this as subtext that could imply Charlie could be a romantic or a sexual Because there's, you know, I think oftentimes, like when we're having discussions, particularly during Pride Month, these identities sometimes get left out. Didn't. Um, And they're also a really important part of the conversation. Didn't you say on last week's episode, though, Laura, that uh, Draco means dragon? It does. So there's your connection. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's some additional context, I think, that should be added here. Um, Rowling was asked this while she was mapping out the Weasley family tree, I believe. Mm -hmm. And she didn't, she didn't connect anyone to Charlie. And I think that's when the person directing the documentary said, is Charlie gay? So that family tree is basically, you know, what happens period forever. And so I took that to mean that Charlie never meets anybody. So for those reasons, you know, maybe he just didn't find the right person. Maybe he is interested in women. Maybe he is interested in men. Or maybe he is aromantic or asexual. I mean, it does sound like he could be if he's just interested in his, you know, <laughs> we're not saying he has feelings for dragons, romantic feelings for dragons. He just no, doesn't care <laughs> about being with any human. Right. Well, and I, I also think like as we're like deconstructing this, I think it's really interesting it's an interesting observation that when the person interviewing her saw that Charlie never married, the automatic assumption was, well, is he gay? Because clearly <laughs> if he's not married, he must be gay. Because yeah. again, if, <laughs> yeah. if you're gay, you just go and live in solitude. You don't marry your life partner. You don't find that person. You just. You, you, right. Like, and it's like there, there's a number of, different reasons why Charlie may not have found a life partner or maybe he did and kept it secret. Like who knows? Like 
look at the way his mother kind of like involves and inserts herself into her children's lives. I could see him living abroad and having his own uh, private life, and that's fine. Is that some Molly shade? <laughs> yeah, unexpected Molly shade. Happy Pride, she's a everybody. Little bit, I mean, I, I have a lot of love for Molly, but she is, and this is a whole other episode we could have, she's really shady towards Hermione and Floor at different points. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah, we I mean, do not yeah. disagree. I'm, I don't I don't hear it often, so I was like, is that Molly shade? Yeah, <laughs> I throw Molly wild. shade. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, it just it seems like that she has a tendency to do that when her children are doing things that she can't understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's ignorance. And there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of connectivity mm-hmm. there. Um I will say it's possible that Charlie just wasn't an important enough character for her to develop a relationship like a significant like you know yeah. Percy has Penelope Clearwater sure. but who the hell is that and we know Percy so Charlie is just right. way the hell out there I love the Agreed. idea that we found an ace hero or a romantic hero in this character that might just not have made the list of I'm gonna pair this person up true but there yeah. are also people who are just married to their job I mean we hear that phrase get yes. used all the time and I think yeah. if we didn't know more about Newt and kind of his family that gets created further down the line, I think you could probably yeah. assume something similar about him. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about Lupin and Sirius, a.k.a. Wolfstar. Eric, Wolfstar. I know, Another is at least one person on this panel. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. This could be a big discussion. But um, why do you believe in Wolfstar, Eric? And then we can get some other takes Well, I I thought it's important to talk about Lupin separately because I kind of see it's, I believe in Wolfstar 100%. I think it's the most canon compliant gay ship. um, Well, now besides Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Um, But so much of Lupin reads gay um, to, I think, past a certain point did to me, probably after seeing the third movie and watch Gary Oldman and David Thewlis hug so damn tightly. But uh, the character, you know, Lupin is very self-hating. He's struggling with these aspects of his identity that not many people know. Hello. And, you know, there have been interviews where J.K. Rowling's been asked about, you know, sort of what is what is the um, analogy or what is you know lycanthropy like? And it's been related to many times, subtextually and contextually, at, to the AIDS epidemic, uh, which mm-hmm. is also just so largely impacted the gay community um, in real life history. And so if you take these things separately and add them all up, especially at the end of Harry's third year, when Lupin's like, oh, you know, I've been outed. Uh, Parents will not want their kids taught by, quote, a werewolf. Um, You know, it's it's he basically is also very self-punishing. And so... That all reads gay to me. Um, and somebody on the core thread that you found, Andrew, Julie Kellerman, says that when Lupin is introduced, he definitely has a lot in common with how modern LGBTQ teachers view and deal with their sexual orientation. Hmm. I, I assume that means in front of students. Katie, do you feel strongly about Wolfstar or Lupin? Or I, I saw you nodding, I think. He's my absolute favorite character. So um, I just never thought of it in the way that you put it. 
I had already like I at least view him as bisexual. Um, so I'm on board with it for sure, especially with all the comparisons that you just made. It just like makes sense. And I think mm-hmm. it's a really good parallel. Mm. A lot of what's interesting, you know, if you view Lupin as a gay as a closeted gay man or bisexual because he does end up marrying Tonks and fathering a child, um, you kind of have to see all his decision making in, in year three. Why isn't he telling the truth? Why is he protecting Sirius um, from Dumbledore? You know, he refuses to tell Dumbledore about the Animagi thing. The, you know, Sirius Black is actively getting into Gryffindor Tower. That's how close he's getting to supposedly fulfilling his Kill Harry thing. And Lupin still remains silent on all of his knowledge. And Lupin justifies it as being, you know, Dumbledore was very nice to me. He planted this tree the year I got here uh, in celebration or whatever and helped me get away as a kid. But that doesn't really add up to just the sheer risk that Lupin is taking for Sirius's benefit if Sirius were, in fact, the cold calculating murderer. And so Mm. I think there's love there. Like, specifically, I think that Lupin somehow either felt that his connection with Sirius was deep enough that he could track Sirius down or for the sake of his love for Sirius in years past, couldn't bring himself to really turn Sirius in. Kind of like the struggle that we see Dumbledore and Grindelwald going through in Fantastic Beasts now. There was this love and it spoiled. Mm -hmm. It was tainted love, but they can't get over it. Or it never got the chance though, because of what happened. Right. Sirius goes to Azkaban and Lupin goes into hiding. Yeah. Yeah. Driven apart by war. And then you have this little note here. I guess it was Eric that put this in. Sirius adorned his bedroom walls with pictures of muggle muggle girls in bikinis and motorcycles. And then you said, does this rule anything out? And then you have (laughs) pictures of some walls. One has nothing but Gaga posters. The other has nothing but Britney Spears posters. Yes. Those photos are from uh, the bedrooms of gay guys. Thank you for confirming. <laughs> okay, great. I, that, I, actually, I, that, for, that Lady Gaga wall is from my bedroom, actually. I was going to say, I peeked uh, into, I, peeked, I went to New Jersey the other day and I, I peeked in and took a photo. <laughs> Your parents uh, kept it just as you left it. That's the thing about Sirius, right? I didn't see it, so I looked for Canon and, you know, he's yeah. got a motorcycle. He's kind of the bad boy. Um, you know, you guys mentioned this earlier, but like, He's portrayed as being something of a sort of kind of a ladies man, I guess. But the only real canon that I could find about him could go either way. For instance, the bedroom thing when Harry's at Grimmauld Place and he sees there's these women of bikinis and motorcycles. Um, But then also in Snape's worst memory chapter, there's this quote with another shock of excitement. Harry saw Sirius give James the thumbs up. Sirius was lounging in his chair at his ease tilting it back on two legs. He was very good looking. His dark hair fell into his eyes with a sort of casual elegance. Neither James's hair nor Harry's could ever have achieved. And a girl sitting behind him was eyeing him hopefully, though he didn't seem to have noticed. And on the one hand, Sirius is so cool. He's getting all the girls. He doesn't even notice when a girl likes him. On the other hand, he's not into chicks. And so he doesn't know. (laughs) Poor girl. Her affections are wasted on Sirius because he only has eyes for Remus or somebody else. I definitely took it to mean the former that he's just getting all the girls. But yes. look, I can, you know, we we dive deep on the show and I can see how you could take it the other way. I think what's 
really great about all of these readings is you you could do a reading of Sirius and James or Sirius and Remus and look at it as like these are close intimate male friendships which in our society tend not to be prioritized, welcome, emphasized. You can also do an equally valid reading that these characters might have been gay. And again, they're both valid readings or anywhere in between the two, right? Yeah. So there are multiple possibilities here. That's the best part because there is no right answer. So like you can just grab what feels awesome to you and run with it. And this is why we can do Harry Potter podcasts. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Megan and Katie, do you have any other feelings about particular characters? Um, I think we talked about this once. I just like giving a shout out to Hagrid and Newt being a good representation of like a feminine male figure. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily I love gay. That. Yeah. I love how they are portrayed. Like Hagrid was cute enough and then He's Newt so came out. Yeah. <laughs> And then Newt came out and he says the same things like, oh, mom's here, mom's here and doesn't think twice about it. He's just a caring dude. I love it. Yeah. There needs to be more of that. Calling into question gender norms. He's a plant daddy. (laughs) (laughs) He is a plant daddy. (laughs) I guess we can wrap this discussion up. Happy Pride Month to anybody who's queer, LGBTQ plus. You know, you are welcomed in the Harry Potter community. We support you. We support you. I mean, the Harry Potter fandom such a special, amazing place for all of us for a variety of different reasons. One reason it holds a special place in my heart is because I was able to come out when I did, um, even though the acid quilt outed me at the time. But that's OK. That's Water so under cool. the bridge. <laughs> and it's just it's been a very special place. And I'll always be grateful for the opportunities the fandoms provided me, particularly when it comes to my sexuality and just being able to come out. So thank you to everybody in the fandom for not being judgmental. As far as I know, none of you are. (laughs) We don't judge you for that. Plenty of other things though. (laughs) So it's time for Quizage. Yes, of course, it's time for Quizage, our weekly quiz. Last week's question, the constellation Draco was so named for its appearance of being like a dragon. Who first named the constellation Draco, and we did give a hint, it's a renowned philosopher. The answer is Ptolemy, and not many people got that right. So congratulations to all who did, including Mariana, Katie, RM, Sunshine Mellow, Khufu the Baboon, Da Real Pious Thickness, I Still Can't Think of a Creative Name, Hallow Wolf, I Tried Drowning My Fish, and the 394th skull of Lupin's cabinet. Wow. All right, I'm drawing the line. These names are officially out of control. Everybody yeah. needs to tone it back a little bit. Just a little bit. They're great. Stay the course. They're creative. What are you going to do if they don't, Andrew? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to Wait, I'm not supposed to be judgmental. I love all of these names. They're all wonderful. <laughs> Come as you are. Amazing. Andrew's going to write some strongly worded tweets <laughs> about all these names. Come as you are. I tried drowning my fish. I respect you. <laughs> no judgments. <laughs> that was my favorite from this week. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, it's time now for next week's question. A witch 
named Glenda Chittick, or Chittock, hosts this program on the Wizarding Wireless Network, dedicated to interviewing musicians. Musicians. What is the name of the program? And submit your answer to us over on mugglecast.com slash quizich. There's a quizich drop down in the menu or quizich button in the menu drop down on mugglecast.com. Just click that and the question will be on there as well. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com. Get it in now because we will be recording a Muggle Mail episode next week and we'll try to include some of it on that episode. You can also call 19203-MUGGLE. That's 19203684453. You can also record a voice memo on your phone and send that to mugglecast at gmail.com. If you do call us, just try to keep your message about a minute long. Megan and Katie, thanks for coming on today's episode. It was so great having you on. Thank you thank so you. much for having us. Yeah, it was a blast. It was thank you. super fun. Yeah. And and thank you to both of you and your show for coming to us actually like a week or two ago being like, hey, you want to collab? And I was like, <laughs> actually, this works out perfectly. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll come. I'm like awkwardly inviting ourselves on your show but we, no yeah <laughs> oh my god we, more than welcome. Come on our show. we got That'd an invite awesome. people i'm not forcing my, ourselves on <laughs> yeah we'll we'll appear on your show at some point that'll be a lot of fun too i'm looking forward to it so again it's swish and flick podcast and the website is swishflickcast.com mm-hmm. yes sweet you can follow us on spotify Okay, cool. And we'll include a link in the show notes if if uh, for everybody to check out your show. Um, also, just a couple of reminders uh, about MuggleCast. Make sure you're following the show in whatever app you use to listen so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on social media. We're MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can join our community of passionate listeners today at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We don't have a cool community name like Swish and Flick does uh, yet, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but you will get ad-free MuggleCast, bonus MuggleCast installments, a personalized video thank you message from one of the four of us, access to our live streams, which by the way, we are now doing on video because we are now recording on Thursday nights. Uh, when uh, we're a little more ready to be on camera. We used to record on Saturday mornings. We weren't camera ready on Saturday mornings. So now the cameras are They're on. on. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And Andrew. Yes? And just for next week's episode, in addition to the mailbag, Eric and I may have a bit of a surprise for you and Laura. So stay tuned. Should I what? be nervous? No. I don't like this. It's plant daddy shirts for everybody, except Laura, <laughs> yours will say plant mommy. I can be a plant daddy. It's okay. Oh, oh, that's right. I didn't mean to. Oh, crap. I'm so sorry. I assumed uh, parental gender. What are your pronouns? I'll, okay. I'll be happy Laura's just with, screwing with and, you. Don't yeah, worry. I'm just messing with you, Eric. I will be happy with any shirt. Just do plant parent. Uh, yeah. Oh, plant parent. There you go. The gender neutral. I love that. I want one that's plant zaddy, but I need another like 30 years on me. So That's fun. But wait. Okay, thanks everybody for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. I'm Megan. And I'm Katie. (laughs) Thanks for directing that, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. I remember. Bye, Bye, (laughs) y'all. Bye.